It is Locked on Jazz for the 9th of November. The Utah Jazz are in Atlanta with the number one offense in all of the NBA. How is it possible? Is it legit? Is it sustainable? We'll talk about that, plus you get ready for the Hawks and a lot of NBA watching on an airplane. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. We are free. We are available on all podcasting apps. We are also on YouTube. And you can subscribe on either of those five-star reviews or please on YouTube hit the bell so you're notified whenever we go live like after the game tonight when Ron and I bring you postcast. Uh, I have to be careful today. Holly Rowe is in the room bordering next to me. And um, I have a tendency to be kind of known as the locked-on jazz alarm clock. Um and so I texted her last night and said, hey, what time are you getting up with the time zone and the amazing travel you're doing? I don't want to be a locked on jazz alarm clock, but the time in which she told me does not give me enough time to get the show up and out for all of you. So um, I'm right now 20 minutes before her alarm clock as I record this and so could have major internal disputes inside the broadcasting. Uh, hope you're doing great. We're in Atlanta. Um, I know I've got a weird side on my face, but when I put the shades back behind me and you don't get the building in the light, um, it looks literally like I'm in a penitentiary. So I went with this instead for those of you who are watching on YouTube, and I don't actually think you care what I look like. Hopefully you're here for the comments and the discussion amongst the whole group. Question today on YouTube. Jazz are number one in the NBA offensively right now. Where do you think they finish? And answer it now. I'll give you some data as time goes on. Um, all right. So, f- first off, if you're wondering what we do on an airplane, uh, Ron Boone's incredible. At 76 years old. He's still always trying to get better. So, we watch a ton of basketball. So, we watched all of Atlanta, Milwaukee. Uh, Atlanta's win over that. We'll talk about that coming up as we kind of break down uh, what's what the Jazz have today. Tough, tough task, the 7-3 and three Atlanta Hawks. And then we watched the fourth quarter of a bunch of close games um, from the night before. So we, and I'll talk about it in our, in our third p- uh, part of the show today. Uh, we watched the end of um, Portland, Miami, which was amazing. We watched the end of uh, Denver, San Antonio. We watched the end of Sacramento, Golden State, and we watched the end of Cleveland Clippers. We didn't get to Boston, Memphis, and we did not get to the end of Dallas and Brooklyn, which I really wanted to. All right, let's get to it. The Jazz are the number one offense in the NBA right now. If you look at cleaning the glass, which takes out blowout time, which is the best way to look at it. Not everyone has access to it. Um, Then the Jazz are the number one team in the NBA uh, in offensive rating. Virtually tied with three other teams. If you look at NBA... Com. Boston is at 116.7, Dallas is at 116.6, and Utah's at 115.7. So we're now, if you take out the blowout time, um, which is 
what Boston and Dallas have probably played a lot of. We haven't played a great deal of it. Then we actually are right there at 117.6. Boston's at 117.6. Dallas is at 117.5. Or Denver's at 117.5. And Dallas is at 117.5. So there's four teams right now that are elite offensively. Memphis and Cleveland and New Orleans are right behind. The offense is just churning in the NBA uh, right now. So how is it possible that on cleaning the glass, the Jazz are the number one offense in the NBA? How is it possible um, that over the whole thing they're the number three offense? And then using dunks and threes, Taylor Schnarr's site, we'll discuss in a minute whether this is schedule when we only have a sample size of 11, 12 games. Do we have a sample size issue where we've played not very good defensive teams like we talked about yesterday? So first thing that's going on here is the three-point shooting. Um, but it's not entirely the three-point shooting. So the Jazz actually only have the 12th best location shooting in the NBA. So what what that means is if you take where you're getting your shots as a team, and rim obviously being the number one spot, number two spot being your three-point shots, and then number th- and then after that, um, you're you know, you're going from there, and the Jazz have uh, only the 12th best shot location in the NBA. So a lot of what the reason why the Jazz for a long time under Quinn Snyder were such a good offensive team is they usually had the first or second best shot distribution of any team in the league. So this is not the case right now. We're not, we're 12th. We're in the middle of the pack. There's nothing unusual going on there. There's nothing, frankly, we can't um, continue to um, continue continue to replicate, but our three-point shooting, taking the the third most amount of three-point shots in the NBA um, is certainly a, a large part. The other one is just our overall shooting. We're the sixth best overall shooting team in the NBA right now. So what you, you couple the four factors together, which is shooting, turnovers, rebounding, and free throw rate, and the answer on us is that is that our shooting is really, really good, and our offensive rebounding is really, really good. Um, we're the fourth most active offensive rebounding team in the league. We're at 31.3 possessions, or 31.3% of our misses are offensive rebounds. Now, this is going to be interesting to see whether we can maintain that, because that's really become a little bit of who we are. And what we're getting out of that on a given night is that there's a statistic that cleaning the glass keeps called plays versus misses. How many putback plays does a team generate per 100 misses? Um, so it's a play then is anything, that, a shot, a turnover, free throw. So how many extra plays really are you getting a night? So we're getting 23 per 100 possessions. We're getting 23 extra plays. So one out of every five times or so. We're getting exploited. The only team in the league that's better at that is Houston. Of the elite defensive teams, no one else, or offensive teams, excuse me, no one else is in the top 10. So, really, the two pieces of our magic offensively right now are the amount of threes we're taking, 40% of them, um, 40% of our shots, 41% of our shots, third most in the NBA, and our offensive rebounding. That we're getting these extra plays. Now, interestingly, we're. You say, well, is that sustainable? What's really interesting about it is we're not actually great at it. Our points off of um, those plays, how many points did the team score per 100 putback plays, is 
29th in the NBA. Memphis, who's another super active offensive rebounding team, is also is 30th. So we're not actually, you know, as much as we're suddenly grabbing these extra possessions, and extra possessions are just so incredibly valuable. It's why teams are offensive rebounding at such a high rate in the NBA, why offensive rebounding has recovered again uh, to be a, a active part of this league again. We're not actually getting... Um, we're not. We're not actually doing that. We're, how many putback points does the team score per hundred missed field goals slash rebound free throws? So we're scoring twenty two point four points per hundred missed field goals. Well, that's we're not getting a hundred in a game, right? You're probably getting closer to fifty. You're actually not even getting that. You're probably getting forty. So we're getting about an extra ten points a game on putbacks and offensive rebounding. That's going to be really interesting to see whether we can maintain that. Um, cause, and that's about the ninth best in the NBA. Um, so that'll, that'll be a, that's a, that's a kind of a first trick here of whether we can, um, continue that. The, the second one that's going on, um, with us is just our, is obviously, I mentioned it, it's the three point shooting and overall shooting. So we have the six best effective field goal percentage team in the league. So I like to look at three to see what's real and what's not, and you have to look at it collectively. We can we can look right now and say, well, there's no way Kelly Olynyk can continue to shoot this. Okay, that's fine, but is Kelly Olynyk somebody else slumping? while Kelly Olynyk's amazing. It's it's a collective body. So the first thing I look at is catch and shoot three. We have a bunch of guys that are actually forty percent catch and shoot three guys. So on our catch and shoot three, right now Kelly Olynyk is. Ridiculous 62%. Okay, that's not sustainable. Mike Conley's 57%. That's not sustainable. However, taking the same amount of catch and shoot threes a game as those two is Colin Sexton, who on his career is a 40% three-point shooter, and he's shooting 22%. So that's going to go up just as much as a Linux is going to come down. Those wipe each other out. Malik Beasley catch and shoot right now is at 42%. That's right on his league average. Jordan Clarkson catch and shoot is way up. He's taking part of the reason he's shooting so well is he's shooting five catch and shoot threes a game where he was taking mostly off the bounce threes and he's at 38%. That's right on where he should be. And Lowry Markinen is at 32.8% on his catch and shoot threes and he should go up probably to 36 or 37 unless the burden of being the number one guy is too high. Simultaneously, Horton Tucker is at 12% and Rudy Gay is at 27%. I believe Horton Tucker will go up. So I actually looked at those numbers and thought to myself, just as much as you're seeing Mike Conley and Kelly Olynyk be outrageous, and they're certainly important how outrageous they are because of the amount of time they spend on the floor and all the rest, I actually am not sure that the Taylor Horton Tucker, Colin Sexton up, Lowry Markin and uptick doesn't wash that out, and that we're not actually just about where we're going to be as a team. On the off the bounce three, we have some wacky numbers going on. So we don't rely on the off the bounce three nearly the way we did a year ago. But Mike Conley, who was the fourth best in all of the NBA and seemingly never misses, is shooting thirty percent on off the bounce threes this year. That's going to go up. Jordan Clarkson is shooting 52% on off-the-bounce threes, and that cannot be maintained. And Colin Sexton is at 59% and has never been particularly good at that shot. 
And Taylor Horton Tucker, who's not particularly good at that shot, is at 42%. This is where things are going to drop a little bit on this roster. That if you look at where we are right now, what we're doing, Malik Beasley's at 31 on off the bounce three. That's about where he is. Lowry Markkinen's at 11% on off the bounce three. That's about where he he's not an off the bounce three shooter. He'll have to add, try to add that. Kelly Olynyk is at 40%. That's a little high, but he only takes one every other game. So he's clearly picking his spots. Rudy Gay has not made one yet this year. So th- this is the one area where when I look at our three-point shooting, and I look at a little bit of what we're doing offensively, the two questions are, can we maintain that offensive rebounding rate? And can we maintain when we're taking this, the second or third most amount of threes in the NBA? Um, can we maintain that? And, and I think that's where we're going to drop. There are, there's one other area where we're s- superb right now, and that's transition. And some of this is that three-point shooting we're just talking about. We're 1.4 points per transition opportunity, according to Cleaning the Glass, which is really, really high and is outstanding. And we're running, we're not running as much as, we're getting into our offense early, but we're not running a tremendous amount that our possessions all end early. So that leads me to believe that, using a little eye test here, that we're doing an awfully good job of picking our spots. However, however, we're 15 points above league average on transition right now. The league average is 126.6, and we're at about 141. And if you go back to a year ago where the average was the exact same, at 126, the third best team in the league was at 132. So it seems unlikely that a team could be Last year, the third best team was six points better. Right now, we're 16 points better. So that's going to come back a little bit. So I would say that you're going to see us regress to the mean in off-the-bounce three-point shooting, which will impact our ability to be as good a transition team. And and I think you'll see that probably drop to 1.3 or so. So that, that doesn't, you know, that's one or two points a game. Like, that's... You know, we're not in transition that much, but it's 0.1 per opportunity if we do it 10 to 15 times a game. That's a 1.5 point drop. And just putting that into a little bubble, like our differential right now is plus 5.4, which is incredible. We'd still be a plus four. We'd still be really, really good, but we wouldn't be quite as good. So that's my quick take on where the offense is, where we stand. Now, there's two things to this to be added on. Taylor Snar, local Salt Lake guy. Um, works for the Jazz, has a website called Dunks and Threes, and that weighs whether or not you've played good offensive teams or bad offensive teams. So we'll look at that, and we'll get ready for the Atlanta Hawks as we continue, and hopefully Holly Rowe doesn't hate me because I woke her up this morning with all this drivel of numbers through the walls of our nice hotel. Uh, Today's uh, show is brought to you uh, on a Wednesday edition by Steve Carter and Intercap Lenny. It was nice this weekend. I got an email, someone asking me to hook them up with Steve Carter and that's exactly what happened in this market. You probably need Steve Carter more than ever. Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer at Lockdown, and he comes to us uh, via our friends over at Intercap Lending. Steve's just really one of the great customer service people I've ever been around in my whole life. There's really no other way to say it. He's detail-oriented. He'll help you through the process. He's gotten me through two loans. He's got my COO through a loan. Um, he does it all for us. He has served multiple, multiple Lockdown uh, listeners and it is all part of the Lockdown family, and this is one of the great things we bring you. Over at Intercap Lending, Intercap Lending is a hyper-focused uh, 
mobile, uh, agile company that's been able to move with the times and has done great work, massive expansion in Salt Lake City recently and the surrounding areas because of the fact that they're able to get deals done. And that's what makes them truly special is that they get deals done. Steve Carter's our own personal loan officer, so if you're looking for a loan right now, please give me an email at dlock09 at gmail.com. I'll set you up with Steve, or you can call Steve directly. Just make sure you mention Locked On so you get the corporate discount. 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528 to call Steve directly. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465 for more information. Visit intercaplending.com or just feel free to reach out to me directly at dlock09 at gmail.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at LinkedIn. The job market is a little different right now than it has been in the past. And right now, LinkedIn is super important for everyone uh, to be able to find if you're looking for a uh, worker it, this could, this could like, it takes time, right? This can, this can get super difficult. And that's why LinkedIn is here to help your pre- uh, productivity to help you find qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. Post your job for free. Then you can add the purple hashtag frame to your LinkedIn profile. Spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. So you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. Speed is important both so you get the right candidate and so you don't really derail your company. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hiring versus leading companies. It's all at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. LinkedIn.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free. Thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Locked On Sports today is available for you 22 minutes recap of the whole day in sports i'm actually a guest on it today if you want to hear my thoughts on what's going on with the jazz from a bigger nba perspective than what you and i deal with um and i'll dump into some of them in the third segment all right let's go to taylor schnarr taylor does good work so what taylor does same four factors we were just talking about um same things we're looking at but he weighs your opponents so he has the Jazz offense as ranked sixth in the NBA right now. He has Boston fairly far ahead of everyone as number one. Dallas at number two. Cleveland three. New Orleans four. Philly five. And the Jazz at six. When you weigh our strength of schedule is a negative 1.5. We've played the 24th best strength of schedule so far in the league. And the 24th ranked offensive strength of schedule. In the league as well. Sorry for the sip there. And 20th defense. So he he has us as a little bit um, exceeding our number one offensive ranking and clean the glass is exceeding things. His net ratings are interesting. He has Cleveland as the number one team in all the NBA right now. Followed by Phoenix, Dallas, Boston, Toronto, Milwaukee, and Utah. But that also has, so Phoenix is the number one team, then Dallas number two, and Utah three in the West. New Orleans right behind us at four, Portland at five, Memphis at six, Denver at seven, and the Clippers at eight. Um, I think. I don't think I missed anyone in there. Um, what's interesting to me about that is it feels like there are some things settling out here. Phoenix kind of staying on top. Denver, I feel like, is coming. 
Um, but Taylor's numbers are not as advantageous to Denver because of the fact they're so bad defensively, which they, they really are. Um, they're 26th in the league, according to Taylor, defensively. But so this puts the Jazz in a little bit of a different ilk. The other one that's interesting here is we talked about pace. We're 27th in the league in offensive possession length. Um, so we actually hold the ball offensively for about 15 seconds, which is 22nd in the league for all of our talk of pace and all the stuff we're trying to do quickly, 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 quickly. Um, that's the um, that's where we rank right now. So um, kind of an interesting. I do not know if that has the um, – I think it has the November 7th games updated on it from the way I looked at it. So that's up to date. So, okay. These are all great. It just um, it has us just a little bit more kind of back to earth a little bit than number one in a league. But number six is pretty amazing. All of this is pretty stunning. All right. Let's get to Atlanta tonight because this is a real task. Um, according to Taylor Schnarr, just staying on the site, Atlanta comes in 11th offensively and 20th defensively. And that's interesting because their overall numbers are, are much better than that. They're 11th offensively, they're 9th defensively. But this is, this is going to be really interesting because one thing that Taylor Schnarr has is that they have not played good offensive teams yet. Um, the, the Hawks, um, so far this year. We watched the Hawks-Milwaukee game. They look great. They beat Milwaukee. They're the only team that's beat Milwaukee all year. So they looked absolutely fantastic in the game. Their guards are really going to be a problem. Uh, Trey Young did not play the other night. There's some really interesting numbers on Atlanta right now with Trey Young and without Trey Young. Um, so when DeJounte Murray, which was their big offseason acquisition, and Trey Young are on the floor together, they are great. They are absolutely great. Their pl- their offense is in the ninety second percentile. They're in the ninety fifth percentile overall. When Trey Young and Dejounte Murray are on the floor together, they are plus thirteen point nine. Their defense is in the eighty fourth percentile. They cover up for the fact that Trey's so small, and they're and they're not. Um, it's not causing a problem. When DeJounte plays by himself, like he did last game, because Trey Young was out, and Trey Young is questionable for tonight. They're plus. 2.3. They're elite defensively. They're a hundred. They're in the 89th percentile defensively, and they're 20th percentile offensively. So that so really, when Dejounte Murray suddenly have they have Dejounte Murray and DeAndre Hunter on the floor. Maybe Aaron Holiday is a smaller guard, but they have these big, long, rangy wings. They they become a force defensively. When Trey Young is on the floor without Dejounte Murray this year. They're minus 31.4. They're in the 11th percentile offensively and the 0 percentile defensively. Zero. They're averaging 136 points per 100 possessions when Trey Young is on the floor without DeJounte Murray. How crazy is that? So it'll be interesting to see whether they whether Trey Young plays and then over time, it's going to be interesting to see whether where where this plays out because that's that's an eye-opening um, number for the seven and three Hawks. They're they're awfully good, um, and they have just they come in waves of talent. They've won three in a row. They beat the Knicks, the Pelicans, and the Bucks recently. After losing on the road to the Bucks and the Raptors, their their losses recently are pretty good. They open the year. The reason their record's funky is they open the year with Houston, Orlando, Charlotte, Detroit, Detroit. 
So their first five games, they played bad teams. They went four and one. They then went to Milwaukee and lost. Went to Toronto and lost. Toronto really put it on them, scored 139 points. And then they came, they beat New York, and they beat the Pelicans in overtime in Milwaukee at home. So they've kind of done what they're supposed to. They're in a gauntlet right now. They're playing the Bucks tonight. They played the Bucks last night. They played the Jazz tonight. They're playing the Sixers back-to-back, though without Harden. And then they're playing the Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, Cavaliers after that. So this is a really important stretch here for um, the Atlanta Hawks. Matching up tonight on the X's and O's aspect of it, um, the thing that you got to keep an eye on is these guards. DeJounte Murray's big and long. He's six foot five. They play. He'll get in the middle of the lane. He'll play the mid-range game. Um, he's not a particularly effective shooter, but he's he's big and long and rangy and get where he wants to. DeJounte Hunter will do the same thing. The Jazz have got to win the three-point battle by a considerable margin tonight. They're 29th in the league in three-point attempts. Jazz are third in the league in three-point attempts, and so that's going to be a huge edge for us tonight if we can uh, take advantage of that three-point uh, differential. They do run. They play. They, they come at you, and they're really athletic. Their second unit which Okungu, the former third pick of the draft out of USC, is playing instead of Clint Capella. They're much more athletic. They'll switch a little bit more defensively. They'll play with, at least the other night, they played with Jalen Johnson, second-year player out of Duke. Um, they play with their rookie, A.J. Griffin, who's super good, who had a great game, and I think is going to be really, really good. Adrian Griffin's son, um, Mathemat- has had some knee injuries, and he's not an elite athlete, just makes every play imaginable. And so they really, and then they play with Justin Holiday, so they really come at you. Um, with that group. They play the sixth fastest pace of the league. They play the ninth fastest offensive possession. So they're running with these guards, with these athletes at you, and particularly in that second unit. In their first unit, Capella will play a drop big. They don't do a lot of switching. Nate doesn't want to switch. In their second unit, they're a little bit more willing to switch um, for the Jazz to take advantage of that. All right, Ron, I watched a ton of NBA last night, so we'll... um, well, I'm going to update you on just kind of some quick thoughts, run through those. Today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.net. Odds, news, scores, all the rest for you at BetOnline. It's where the game starts. On the NFL end of things, Thursday night football starts tomorrow with an Atlanta-Carolina game. That is why I was on the in the elevator with Troy Aikman last night, um, is because he must be here for that. And John McEnroe was supposedly in the building, which I was way more excited about. Um, Atlanta is a three-point favorite at Carolina, though. I don't know whether... Actually, maybe just here for an event and then going to Carolina since that game's in Carolina. Um, NBA action. We have 13 games in action tonight in the NBA. There are some headliners. The G- Hawks are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over... Uh, against the Utah Jazz. The headliners tonight, probably Phoenix, Minnesota. Phoenix is a one-and-a-half point favorite. Minnesota, Rudy's out. Lakers, Clippers tonight. Clippers are a three-and-a-half point favorite. That's just a headliner because of the locations. Probably more than anything else. Uh, the other Knicks Nets, which is another headliner, maybe because of location. The Nets are a three-point favorite on that one. Um, don't really have any litmus test games tonight, where two really, really good teams are playing each other. Though, other than Indiana, who's also kind of surprising, everyone five and five has Denver. That's all at BetOnline.net, where the game starts. Thanks so much, very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We will, your second listen today, Locked on Sports Today, or grab Brad Roland on Locked on Hawks. He does great work um, on that. Get you ready for the game. I will be walking to pizza at Geo's today to probably go listen and listen to Brad Roland. Um, All right. uh, 
quick thoughts. So we watched a ton of games. We watched Atlanta-Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee's funny. Giannis is just great. He wasn't great against Atlanta. They, Clint Capella really bothered him. Um, they missed Chris Middleton. They missed the second unit kind of offensive player. Grayson's turning into a super nice player, though, um, for them. He, he's kind of their second-best player. They're dropping Brooke Lopez right at the rim um, and doing some interesting things there. Golden State-Sacramento was interesting. I just watched the fourth quarter, so the big issue with Golden State right now is all their young kids. We didn't see that. Steph was superhuman. Um, Draymond made so many smart plays. Um, he got Keegan Murray on him on a key play. Steph was rolling. Everyone's watching Steph. He fakes the handoff, rolls and rolls to the uh, to dunk it. Um, I've watched Sacramento now play three close games late. They're 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 a zoo. Uh, I don't know why they do what they do. Um, they they didn't foul last night when they should have late in the game and when they still had a chance to win. This is you know me. I'm not into like the final play games kind of stuff. This was just basic clock management. They didn't do right. Um, I don't know what they're running and trying to get into. Um, there was a play where Sabonis and Fox were on the left wing, and then um, Terrence Davis, who never seems to be in the right place, cut right into their play, and then they ran their play instead of Fox waiting. I don't think Fox has a great feel as a point guard. Um, I think it's probably why Sacramento loses a tremendous amount of close games. I believe Sacramento's had every game this year within seven points. Um, Minnesota versus, or excuse me, um, Miami versus Portland was really interesting. Jimmy Butler's a beast, but one that game clogs down to the half court with Kyle Lowry being a little bit of a shadow of what he once was. Miami feels really challenged to score. Um, and Dame, on the other end, really was picking apart Miami and then had Josh Hart sitting in one corner and Jeremy Grant in the other with Anthony Simons lifted, and that felt real. I thought Portland looked... You know, they came back. We watched them go on a 10-0 run. But they came back nicely. Huge win for them in Miami. Um, Dame was back at it. But that, I, I don't love the Simons-Lillard backcourt, but I will say Josh Hart does everything right. Jeremy Grant does a lot of things right. And when they're spread late with Dame working in the middle of the floor and they've got those corners filled with those shooters, it was awfully hard for Miami to figure out who was coming off whom and what was going to happen there. Um, San Antonio, Denver, Devin Vassell has become kind of the go-to guy at the Spurs. Um, and uh, Keon Johnson continues to play great. It was really interesting. Denver, Jamal Murray looked closer. They ran the same play four or five times in a row. They run Bruce Brown on a diagonal to pick Jokic, and then Jokic comes and picks Jamal Murray. And then they go to work. That was them back at playing Denver basketball. The, though their spacing's really a problem. Aaron Gordon's inability to shoot is really a problem. He had a nice slice at one point. But they have to have Contavious uh, Caldwell-Pope on the floor. Um, when they don't have Contavious Caldwell-Pope on the floor and they have Brown, Gordon, Bones Highland, they don't have enough shooting out there. So they're closing with Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, and Nikola Jokic on the floor. It, it's it's okay, but it, it doesn't have quite the floor spacing that I think they would want to have and that they need to have for that team. There feels like they're a piece short in that. Now, Michael Porter Jr. must have not been going to be out, not be out there at that time. And then he's a bit of a defensive liability. By the way, in the Golden State-Sacramento game, Sacramento went at Clay Thompson almost every play of the final five minutes of that game, which has got to be a little alarming to Golden State. He just wasn't moving. Uh, Kalani Azubuke does a nice job. Um, is that his last name? think so. Um, does, a, does a really nice job of the Warriors broadcast. Kind of pointed out, like, wow, Clay's having a really, really tough time um, in that one. San, Denver just kind of went to their set play rather than working anything specifically. Clippers Cleveland was really interesting to watch Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell late. They did not 
it didn't look fluid. Now they fell apart. They they fell apart on a 13-0 run um, and lost a game that they should have won. They were up 10 with like four minutes left, and the Clippers came back and won it. Um, but Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland definitely looked like they were taking turns. They were trying to run a play where um, it's almost like a Spain pick and roll where uh, coming off the pick and rolls, Garland, Allen sets the pick as Allen rolls, then Donovan rolls off Allen, but the, the spacing was bad on it, didn't quite work out. Garland didn't get it to Donovan very much on that, um, and then they, they missed a bunch of shots, turned the ball over. Karis LeVert can't shoot. So having him spaced in the corner doesn't actually do any good. Um, I don't. They're gonna have to do something about that. Whether it's play Daniel Wade, they brought in Isaac Okoro to guard Paul George on the final possession of the game, um, but you can't play him because he can't shoot. So they've got a little bit of a floor spacing problem in that corner. Um, Jared Allen is their kind of pick and roll big, which isn't actually that different than Rudy for Donovan. Um, Donovan looks obviously terrific. When we watched him, he didn't look terrific because we watched the final eight minutes of that game. Um, but he's been, he's obviously been amazing all season long, um, for them. But that, that didn't, that, I, I'm going to really curiously watch the end of some games there. That didn't look smooth. Um, and it didn't look like Garland and Donovan had an understanding of how to play off each other other than taking turns. All right, those are my takes about what I watched in the NBA. I'll do a lot more of that. Someone tipped me off to this idea of you just kind of watch the final eight minutes of a very close game and you learn a lot. So I'll be doing a lot more of that. We'll kind of close broadcast with that more and more uh, for those you're interested. Unless you guys email and tell me you have no interest in that at all, and then I won't do it. Then I'll find something else. All right, hope you're great. Thanks so much for tuning in to Locked on Jazz. Right now, go take your second listen at Locked on Sports Today. Have a great one.